Hello, everybody. Hello, hello. Welcome back to another riveting podcast of their rabbis and they're married. And I won't try to spell it because I mess it up every time. So it's still very unclear where the apostrophe is for me. So but there, there is a very confusing grammar. It is wonderful to be back here today, even though grammar is not my strong suit. Judaism is, I hope. So we're very excited to talk about some great issues with you today. But before we do, what is going on with you, Rabbi Rachel? How have you been since our last, since we've last talked, which is, well, we talked two seconds ago, but. Well, it's, you know, it's such a hard question to answer these days. I feel like since October 7th, whenever anyone asks that question, everyone prefaces it with a, with a disclaimer of it's been a hard time, but we're trying to get through. I want to say hello to any listeners that picked up from the Star Tribune article that, that quoted you and quoted our podcast. So if you clicked on this link from the Star Tribune, welcome. We're really happy to have you here. Yeah. Thank you, Star Tribune, for linking our podcast. <laughs> wow. That was like a very much a nice bonus. <laughs> I just got back from really like a historic, like momentous occasion, the largest ever Jewish gathering of all time. 290,000 people came. It was the largest Jewish gathering, I think, like in America. Pil- in America. The, in America. The pilgrimages to Jerusalem already, might, have been, might have been a little in larger. In America. I'm sorry. <laughs> Mount okay. Sinai might have been a little larger. <laughs> all, right, all right. She's already trying to downgrade my experience. See how this works? This is, you're, getting, you're getting a real lens the inside here. No, it was an incredible, an incredible feat that, that the Jewish Federations put together. That yeah, was absolutely incredible. Thank you to the Minneapolis Jewish Federation for flying me out there and and uh, for helping to at least to put the flight together and the arrangements. It was incredible. We went with a good amount of our community members here at Temple of Aaron, and it was just wonderful to spend time with them. Really just incredible. So I'm feeling, I'm feeling probably better than I have over the past five weeks, I would say. I think what was the most powerful for me was seeing some of the reflections from my friends in Israel who were just saying, looking out at this crowd of American Jews gathered in support of Israel and just feeling, feeling the love, feeling the support. I mean, that was a major, I think there were many goals to this gathering to influence Congress and to influence American policy, but to show the support to, to our family in Israel was a huge part of it. And I think that that goal was, was fully accomplished. Yes. Oh my God. Yeah. I, I think that was the biggest goal for me. I really like that. That's what hit me. That's what made me say, like, I have to go to this because like, the fact that our Israeli family does not know that we support and that we're there for them, we have to do this gigantic media stunt in order to uh, make that to communicate that message. So we we definitely did that. And on a lesser note, it is really nice weather in the Twin Cities right now. It this really has been is, an amazing November. This is the super El, this is the super El Nino. This is the super El Nino. Okay, well now you're making it a bad thing. That sounds like it's a climate change issue, but it is beautiful. El Nino has been here for a, <laughs> longer than the climate change issue. Thank you very much. But yes, so it is very nice weather out here and it's been beautiful. And since we I think missed a lot of our fall, I think it's nice we can get we can get some fall time. Rabbi Rachel and I took a nice walk on our day off, which was nice. We, Went for a walk outside of the dog. It was really nice, really pleasant. Anyway, so what are we talking about today? Well, we we're not just talking about the weather. It's like Twin Cities. Come on, we have to talk. I don't about think the we've weather. ever had a podcast where we didn't mention you what the weather was. The weather. <laughs> we're trying to give you a view of what it's like to live in Minnesota. You got to talk about the weather first. That's what you got to do. But we do have another topic today, one that I'm excited about. I think it's an interesting topic, and the we have a really special guest to help us. Yeah, let's introduce our, let's bring our special topic. guest in first. Cause I think we're all very excited about this. At least maybe we're all Rabbi Rachel and myself, the wonderfully amazing executive director of temple of Aaron, Mr. Ken Agronoff is here with us. Thank you for being with us today. Honor to be here after listening to several of these previously. 
I wasn't sure if I would ever have the opportunity, but today's the day, and it was clear. The sun's out. The weather's nice. You've gathered. The Jews gathered in D.C. It's a perfect lead into this topic. Perfect. Exactly. Exactly. We're so excited to have you here, Ken. I, I, I think... You know, many of us like I feel like sometimes Ken is like our like our one of our our big mentors here. Uh, we talk to him all the time. I mean, he's been the executive director here since you were what? How old? How long has it been? Thirty six years. Thirty six years. That's longer than I've been alive, by the way. Just but just by a little bit though. It depends. I'm like thirty six in like a month. So, have you been here longer than I've been alive? That's yes. a, that's, a, that's a very yes. important question. Yes. Was it thirty six years in like April? Okay. All right. Just a little bit. Four months. You beat me by four months. So anyway, he knows a lot about Temple of Aaron and his experience and wisdom here has just been incredible to our rabbinate and so transformative. And we've kind of gotten to appreciate Ken's wisdom in his office, but he likes to keep it to himself, unfortunately. So we're trying to expose the Ken wisdom to the world here. It's really exciting. And we're just so happy uh, to have him on our podcast today. And our topic today, I think, is one that is relevant to everyone in the Jewish community. Our topic today is, is Judaism too expensive? Is Judaism too expensive? Yes. Is Judaism too expensive? There was a rash of articles. Is rash right the right word? There was a rash of articles. There was a rash of articles about, I think it was 2019 when it came out, an anonymous poster in uh, Times of Israel posted this really very detailed article on how expensive his Jewish life is. Uh, finally claiming at one point that 50%, I think, of his expenses were spent on Judaism and on his Jewish life on keeping up his Jewish observances, all told. And that because of that, he could not save for college for his four children and really pay for basic necessities, um, which ended up having him leave Judaism and have to leave, uh, which was uh, very intense, very kind of sad. And his idea was now, why is Judaism so expensive and why does it need to be this way? And it doesn't need to be this way. Um, and, and really it led to some really great conversations about like, how do we um, make Judaism more sustainable for, for everybody and make it so that everybody can, can do Judaism if they want to. There was tons of interesting responses written of all different kinds. And we really wanted to talk about this topic today. Um, we're a couple of years late, but obviously the, the topic is still very, very essential. Is Judaism too expensive? And if it is, um, how do we fix it? Um, if it's not, then how do we do, what do we do? And how do we, how do we deal with those who can't afford the practices that God commands of us? Right. Um, and how do we deal with that? So that's our topic today. Am I good? Anything else? Want to add there? No. All right. Let's start off. I always like to start this off with personal experiences because I think that's so important. You kind of know where we're coming from. You know what? I'm going to change the order a little bit. Ken, why don't you start here? Why don't you start? What's your personal experience with expenses in Judaism? Maybe growing. Tell us first about growing up. I know you'll tell us about being executive director, but tell us about growing up first. I can't start there. I got to start somewhere else. Okay. You can do whatever you want. <clears throat> the fact this is your show is fantastic. But the, the comment that the article came out in 2019 and you're late to the game, this has been a discussion for a hundred years. It's too expensive to belong to a synagogue. It's too expensive to go to school. It's too expensive to go to summer camp. It's too expensive, too expensive, too expensive. And almost never does the conversation shift to what are your priorities? And if your priorities are a bigger home, new cars, X number of vacations, X ingredients in your home, of course, you can talk about it's too expensive. We, we all choose what our priorities are. And then you get down to some people 
have a more limited income. And therefore, what do you do? So it's not as large an issue as you might make it from that article, because the media tend to take the most sensationalized article about the person who can't save for their own retirement, can't save for college. And, and I was reading the article. I don't understand how the math works. He was spending $80,000 a year on being Jewish, and the income was less than that. So wherever he got that money also boggled my mind. So before we use the word expensive too much, we have to throw in the word priorities also. Yeah, really essential. Yeah, I mean, that's that's such an important idea. But we want to hear your own stories. What was it like growing up? I mean, like, you know, what was, how, how, how did your family sort of afford Judaism? Was that ever a conversation that sort of, how did, how did your parents, how did your family talk about like Jewish communal life and, and how have you approached it, you know, in your own, in your own family? Yeah. So growing up, three children, I'm the middle child. All three of us thought we were the favored child, which is probably true in many families. Um, in that era, my mom was a stay-at-home mom, hardest job in the world, mm-hmm. least well-paid. Uh, my sister, who belongs to the Temple of Aaron, a proud member, my sister in, enjoyed and participated in more Jewish things, camp, USY, etc. My younger brother and I were more sports-minded. And as a result, we went to Hebrew school, we went to Sunday school, we had bar mitzvahs, stayed through confirmation, but we were not summer camp people because we were sports people during the summer. My sister got to participate, and even that was a stretch. Single income, my father was a CPA, an accountant, and he went between public accounting and private accounting, and money was always tight. Not tight to the point we couldn't eat seven days a week, but tight where every expense was a choice. So we got into priorities. I learned very young that what are you entitled to is very different than what do you want, Mm. and what do you want to give up. And so... Synagogue membership was considered expensive, but it's something they wanted to find a way to pay. And they belonged to the Temple of Aaron and figured out there was a sliding scale. And once you, the synagogue agrees to a sliding scale, if you do it correctly, people feel empowered to participate. And if you do it incorrectly, people feel Judaism is too expensive. Mm. I like that. I mean, it's so much about communication, what you're talking about, and how do you, how do you communicate that there are, is a sliding scale or there is ways to pay for these things, even if you are on a limited income? Obviously, we're all on a limited income, but exactly. yeah. <laughs> I love that expression. Um, yeah. So, so, yeah. I mean, kids going to Talmud Torah, I mean, it must have been, been very expensive, but I like that idea of, of, of changing it from entitlement to this is something we really want and this is something we really value. I really appreciate that. Uh, And and if we remove the word expensive, I'll I'll give you an easy example. A friend of mine who had Jewish education as a low priority was a multimillionaire. And he kept saying, school is so expensive. It's so expensive. It's so expensive. I said, that doesn't make sense in this case. You don't value it. So regardless of what it costs, it's more than you want to spend. Tamatora was tremendously inexpensive when I was a kid teenager or younger elementary school, but parents still said it was expensive. Mm. And in those days it was no frills. And nowadays the so-called lower standard, you have nicer facilities, nicer administration, nicer communication. Those are all fixed expenses. In the old days, you can complain all you want or comment all you want to thin a staff. But if no one wants to invest more money, that's okay. 
it's an educational institution, you should have good teachers. If you don't have the administration, that's the way it goes. Right, right. Well, you're Rabbi Rachel. Yeah, I mean, it was always a, definitely a discussion in my house. My parents put four children through day school through eighth grade and three children through day school through high school. Um, so that's a lot of years of paying private school tuition that continued to increase year after year. So it was always a, a conversation kind of in my household. My parents are, you know, small business owners. They're, you know, we, we were very comfortable growing up, but didn't have a, a, you know, a tremendous amount of discretionary income. And it was, as Ken, as Ken alluded to, it was a, a choice they made. They made cho- a choice to invest in our Jewish day school and camps over having newer cars or nicer cars or going on international vacations. And so certainly, I think I kind of always grew up with that consciousness of, of, Jewish expenses being a, a priorities and a values conversation of what is it that you want to invest your your funds and my parents would always kind of joke they would joke man like think about what think about what our lives would be if we hadn't had spent a million dollars on day school <laughs> over the course of our lifetime and they would kind of daydream about what that life could have been like but I don't think they regret it for a minute I mean they I think they're they're happy with the investment in their in their family's Jewish lives that they made I became a rabbi so that's a good return on investment I think but yeah, that was always, I mean, in the same way, I think in the same way that my, I was very fortunate that my parents were able to pay for my undergraduate studies. And so, I mean, I think in the same way that they saw the expense of college as a tremendous investment and they didn't require that I go to a school where I got a scholarship or an in-state tuition, they let me choose the school that was the best fit for me. And that was a huge sacrifice for them and a huge investment for them. And that was the kind of the priority decision they made of how they wanted to spend their hard-earned income. Beautiful, beautiful. I mean, my family growing up, just a little different. As, as as our listeners probably know who have listened to our past episodes, I did not attend Jewish day school. I went to public school. And so our real Jewish expense really was synagogue membership, which my, my parents proudly paid. Um, and thank God uh, we also you know came from, thank God my father as a doctor, my mom as a speech pathologist, we, we didn't really have the financial issues. But still, even back then, I, I remember that part of the reason I did not go to Jewish camp was how expensive it was that going to Ramah or, or the URJ camps back then was just, was, was so ridiculous. So I went to a, a, it was like a half day uh, music program at some point. I went to like my school's rec program in the summer and we just, it was like our public school rec program or something they had there. It was a little uh, expensive for us to even, and that's, that's crazy to say as my father's a doctor, right? If he can't afford it, then like, it's amazing that others do, but yeah. I mean, I think not to put your family on the spot, I, I love and respect your parents very much, but I mean, presumably all of your private trumpet lessons were tremendously more expensive 100%, 100%, than, than which camp. Is, yeah. Which is why I'm saying it's part, like it was part. I can definitely say like, yes, it was not the highest of values to send me to Jewish summer camp. It was a high value to train me in trumpet, whatever, that they spent tons of money on that. So yeah, I'm not going to say that it, there was not some kind of uh, value decision that was made here. All, you know, all money decisions are value decisions. Um, so that was definitely the case here, but you know, we didn't experience these same problems. They were just really proud synagogue members. We didn't grow up kosher. So we didn't have like the kosher food expense. Um, we didn't grow up keeping uh, very fully kosher for Pesach. So we didn't have the, that, that expense. I think as, as, as growing up as now a rabbi who is, is kosher and is uh, you know, buying kosher meat all the time. I am, like amazed at how expensive um, kosher meat is. Like just to have 
what other people are having. It's it's incredible how expensive it is, especially when you go to like Trader Joe's. I mean, this is like <laughs> going to bring that up. It's like our experience all the time. Like this is our our yeah. biggest point of pain is we go to Trader Joe's, and for those who don't who don't know my eating habits, the I I don't I think I come across as someone who might be like a vegetarian, but actually my favorite food in the world is lamb, and rack of lamb is like my birthday treat. You know, my ideal Shabbat dinner would be a rack of lamb, which in kosher is like $150 minimum. minimum. And we go That's like the to the cheapest I've ever found. Usually 200 And we go to Trader oh. Joe's and they're selling rack of lamb for like $10 a pound. <laughs> it's like, it, it's just incredible the way people live, man. It's like amazing. That's amazing. It's amazing how expensive it is. And and then and then you move here and like we just don't have that great quality of meat in t- the Twin Cities and you're still paying these like exorbitant prices. Like when I was in New York, at least I was paying exorbitant prices for like really good quality meat. But now it's like pre-frozen. Like it's like, come on, guys. I mean, it is very expensive. And like if we're literally saying like God requires this of you, right? Like it is a commandment to – it's not like our religion prescribes that you must do this. Right. That that's kind of crazy about how expensive those things are. I mean, and then Pesach is like a whole nother a whole nother ball game. It's a whole nother thing how expensive that is. Oh my God. One other thing I wanted to say about growing up is um, you know, one one thing I kind of grew up in my consciousness with that my, I think my mom would would talk about and kind of feel deeply. I grew up in a very wealthy suburb and so a lot of our community members and friends were making like extravagant donations to Jewish organizations as well. And my, I remember my mom used to say that not seeking financial aid for tuition for school or for synagogue membership, that in her mind was her ability to contribute, like paying full price for these Jewish services was her, was her contribution. She wasn't able to make a, you know, million dollar capital campaign gift, but she was going to kind of sacrifice and, and make the value, you know, make the priorities decisions and sacrifice some other things in order to push herself to pay, you know, to pay the full, the full price for, for Jewish life. And that was her, in her mind, her contribution which I think is just kind of an interesting, um, an interesting way to think about it. I think people, I mean, I think about this sometimes too. Like we pay right now for the JCC. We, our daughter goes to preschool there. And I don't think about our preschool tuition as like a donation to the JCC, um, right? It's like, a, it's an expense we have. But if we were able to reframe it in our mind of like, this is our contribution to the Jewish community. We're helping to sustain these programs and to keep them going. And, you know, by not by not seeking financial aid that we don't need and leaving that for people who who need it more than we do and, and pushing ourselves in order to afford it, if we can think of that is a contribution to Jewish community rather than just a, a bill that comes in the mail that we have to pay. I wonder how that helps to reframe it a little bit. Right. Right. So before we get into like the issues, I, w- I really want to go through each of these expenses and talk about them and, and, and talk about why they're expensive. Are they expensive? Are there solutions that we've come up with here at Temple of Aaron? Are there future ideas that we can radical whatever to come up with some way to help help make these things more affordable. But before I do, I really want to like give some historical context here because I think this is so important in our discussion today. The way we see religion in America today is not the way religion has ever been, really. This is very new. Um, and this is something that's been new over the past maybe 100, 150 years. And what's new about this is that that as, as Jews, that we can choose to practice our religion, that we could choose to be part of our communal institutions or not, that that Judaism is seen as sort of like this this luxury item that we can sort of add on and you could choose to do religion or not. 
That was not the way it was um, for most of Jewish history. Jews had to live in Jewish communities. Um, they were governed by um, small Jewish kihilot, and you were taxed um, literally for to sustain the synagogue, to sustain the the Talmud Torah, the the Beit Midrash, or, or what have you, um, the teachers for the students, the kosher slaughterer. All these things were taxed so that it was never an issue. There was no like, oh, I'm going to donate so that we can maybe if you wanted to have like a really nice synagogue or whatever, like really luxurious stuff. But but the basics were they were taxed. So you didn't really pay in that way to do it like as as to become a member or something like that. It was just part of what it meant to be just as an American. Do we pay for public school? Like, no, but it's taxed and we obviously pay, pay through it through taxes. So it was a very different understanding for most of Jewish life. And so we, when we read Jewish sources and the way they talk about how we pay for communal institutions, they talk about it through the structure of taxes and obligation. They do not talk about it through the sense of some free will offering or some charity that you give. Um, and I want to secondly also say as well that many people approach um, religion and, and Jewish services um, through, a, a, I don't think they realize this, but through a lens of the way, we, way Christians look at charity. Right, that they choose to practice their religion, and of the that 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 Christianity sort of looks at at at, at that that Christianity should be, um, you know, the, the, the blessed are the meek, blessed are the poor, and that everyone should be allowed, everyone should come into this open sanctuary that's completely free, and anyone can get in, and you know, it should be that 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 was not part of Judaism. That really, that's that Judaism is a religion of obligation. That we sacrifice and we give in order so that, and because we are a tiny little minority that is sustaining this thing, so therefore there is more of an obligation, an everyday obligation to give and and to give to sustain those institutions. We don't have that same that same identity, that more universalistic identity um, that you find within Christianity and everything like that. So I think a lot of times Jews come and look at our our system, saying it should. How can you pay to pray, right? That of course you pay to pray in Judaism. How else are you going to have the synagogue, right? That would have never made sense as a question to the rabbis, to our sages, because it's an obligation to pay to pray, actually. It's an obligation to sustain the synagogue. That's It's not a choice, right? Um, while I think the church is seen as sort of this social vehicle that anybody can kind of come into and it should be free and open to I anybody. Think, I mean, especially in centralized Christian denominations, right? Like in Jewish communities, each individual community is responsible for setting up their own synagogue and school and mikvah and bayman drash, as opposed to, let's say, the Catholic church where each individual diocese doesn't own the building and own the, the church, right? Like the Catholic, the Catholic church in Rome owns them all right. and, and pays for them. So it's very, I think it's also very different in terms of just administration of structure. Yeah, very very important. So let's go let's go into these. Let's go into these because I really I really want to hear your thoughts on this because I think this is just so important. Let's start with let's start with synagogue membership. And I I I sort of slashed in here Hebrew school tuition. I think sometimes it's sort of folded into it or it's maybe we can talk about whether that's an additional thing. Um is he is synagogue membership too expensive? No. Rabbi Rachel? We can end the podcast. <laughs> the answer is no, everybody. It's perfect just the way it is. Rabbi Rachel? No, I don't think. I mean, it's, I mean, I think the framing of your question to, to Ken's earlier point is, you know, not, is not necessarily the right framing. Okay, to cha- change my framing. Change my framing. No, I mean, I just think that the idea of it being too expensive, like, what does that mean? Too expensive, too expensive compared to what? I think that the way we structure and that a good community structures 
synagogue membership and Hebrew school tuition is they look at their expenses. They look at what it costs to run their and sustain their community. And they say, these are how many members we have. This is what it would cost for each member to contribute a fair share. And some people are able to contribute more and some people are able to contribute less. And hopefully all of us together can join our resources in order to sustain our community. Like, Okay. So let me reframe this here. So I've belonged to many gyms before. Okay. And I pay, I pay $20 a month. I paid $40 a month, depending if it's a nice premium gym. And if you even want to go to like Equinox or Lifeline here, what is it? A hundred, $120 a month or something like that. You could see how many expensive things the gym has, all that equipment, all the trainers and everything like that. Yet somehow we've been able, like there are gyms that have, like you can pay 20, what it's Plata Fitness or something like that, 20, $30 a month. Like that seems like that's, I think what we're used to affording to belong to something and to belong and to get a particular service. I mean, think about Hulu, right? And think about paying for streaming services, $10 a month, $15 a month. Why are synagogues not in the same? I mean, how much, let's just, let's, let's throw a number out there. What is your general, your general to belong to Temple of Aaron? How much does it cost? General person. We don't do it though. I ah, see. I'm already, I'm already lost. You're, I'm already lost. You're, you're an East coast person where usually it's all or nothing. Here's I, our I can't fee. believe I just been insulted. I've been called an East coast person. <laughs> it's like a country club to some people. Okay. And the model in many parts of the country, they thought that was an unsuccessful model. Okay. Explain, well, explain, explain to us here. It's the same way you're using the word expensive. If I don't want to do something, rather than saying it's not important to me, the average Jew says, well, that's too expensive. Camp's too expensive. JCC's too expensive. Federation's too expensive. If they see the value they're providing or getting some value, they never talk about too expensive. Okay. Give us, give us, so how does our, how does our membership model work? So explain, explain to our audience here. Our membership does not have a joining fee. There's a range. So it's a combination of percentage of income, which we never ask for. We just let people know when you're looking. So when you're quoting uh, that there's a tax, so many religions say you should give 10% of your earnings. Okay. What is, what is our median member pay? Median. Excellent. The median member probably pays three, $400 a year, a year. All right. That's, that's actually, that's kind of surprising actually. Yeah. A year. That's good to hear. I mean, that's, that's, I would say much cheaper than many other synagogues around the country. I don't think, I don't think it's, but it's, not, I think that's the point. It's not cheaper, right? Like it is. I mean, it's, uh, I think no, no. We, so, we paid more growing up. Certainly. So, so finish, finish the thought. You made an assumption and then you asked a question. The average Jew around the country, whether they're affiliated or not, somehow has convinced himself it's too expensive. If you look at the budget and you say, where's the, what are you spending it on? Do you have excess of staff? Do you have too fancy a building? Are you controlling your hours? Are you at energy Rabbi efficiency? Too much. <laughs> <laughs> too much or what are they being paid? And then relative to what? And what are you going to do? So in different religions, clerg- Jewish clergy are paid more than the average person in other religions. Yeah. I don't think they're expensive. I don't think they're paid too much or it's any of those expressions. You're comparing for what reason? So everybody has a value. And so when they're looking at the synagogue, one of my favorite examples, a person was on the executive committee and we were talking about the budget and what you're going to do for next year. And someone says, I think the dues increase proposed is too high. And this person said, I think this is the best deal in the world. I come to shul every week to pray. I see my friends. I see some of my family members. There's no place I get a better deal. Now, some of you choose not to come every week. Well, the building is still every week. The clergy's here. You don't know when you're going to use whatever. 
This is great. And our system has built in. Some people don't take advantage of the institution, and therefore they don't receive much value back, but they're wonderful. They want to provide more so others can take advantage, whether it's youth education, adult education, or whatever it may be. And we once you recognize that people have see different value and different relationships and different connections, the one size fits all, that's the dead model. Mm. And the synagogues that have done that for years, it doesn't mean they're not working, but they're creating extra tension. And that's what sparks the articles. It's too expensive to be Jewish. Right. So do you believe do you believe in like this tiered system? I know I know a lot of synagogues have had like your tier one, tier two, tier three based on your income or whatever it is. Do you have do you do you have like a, a tiered model or is it just kind of like every single person who comes, it's just a conversation with them, an individual's individualized conversation? Well, the the foundation is a tiered system. Because everybody who comes forward asks different questions. One, they want to make sure you're not asking for their private information. Once you do that, their blood pressure goes way down. So no tax records, huh? No tax. We don't want to see them. People bring them in. I don't want to see them. Number two, when you say you have flexibility, that relaxes them. Then some of them ask, what is the break-even level? If every member paid the same, what would that be? And that's an interesting number. But then once they understand, many people can't afford that. And so we're lucky. Some people want to pay more. So everyone's welcome at the Temple of Aaron. How do you tell the person who's been a member for 60 years, who's now in a nursing home and has run out of funds, I'm sorry, you're not paying break even, you're out. I mean, that would be horrible. And the call from the adult child, he said, well, my mom, my dad can't afford this anymore. I said, you can't resign them. If they can't afford anything, they're a member in good standing at zero. To me, it's a no-brainer. It's just a sure respect. People have made up their minds how synagogues work without any real background information. It's, mm. it's striking. And to say it's expensive when you don't know what the system is also doesn't make a lot of sense to me. Yeah, I think it's one thing I've been impressed with you about. I mean, you, you're always able to communicate to our members that we are really truly financially flexible. And, and so rarely um, do people come out seemingly angry that we're making them pay too much. You know, previous synagogues that I've been part of, uh, been close to, it just seemed to happen all the time that people would sort of like every couple of months, there'd be someone who just get like so angry and you would try to work with them and you try to say, oh no, we're flexible. We could change the rates, but still somehow it wasn't enough or it was not communicated well or in a respectful tone. I mean, that's something that I've always admired about you is that you're really able to respect people and, and do that in an, admire, an unembarrassing and admirable way. So I just, can you shed some light sort of how you, how you do that and how you, you know, manage well, that? First, thank you for the compliment. Let me tell a cute story, and then you can establish if you think it's cute. When you empower volunteers to do things, somehow they take the direction in a path that is not in the best interest of the synagogue. And it's very difficult to set dues and increase dues as your lifestyle changes. The person coming out, first jobs, making a modest income, and 10 years later, if they're doing really well, how do you ask the person, the synagogue has these needs, can you help us? As opposed to requiring it, you should do something. And so every once in a while, uh, the board of directors would get an idea, we should get some volunteers to more aggressively go after dues. And they would look at me and they say, Ken, you don't seem very excited. I can can know exactly what you're going to say. I said, I'm not excited if they do it too zealously because then it's a win and lose contest it should be a win-win contest. And that takes some diplomacy, some assertiveness. So we had two people who came forward, two dear people 
smart volunteers, love their Judaism, and committed the time to meet with people on Sundays. They, after the first week, they had met with like three or four people, not 43 people, three or four people. And they called up conference call and said, um, we have the solution of the temple. Financial issues. Wow. And we also have a decision we want to share with you. I said, well, let's start with the good news. What do you mean you have a We know we can get people to comply with the system. We also know the synagogue would end up with about 15 members. And therefore, we're resigning our post because we have no way of doing this without insulting people or walking away. Yeah. I said, well, I want to compliment you on your wisdom. You should walk away from this because that isn't the way the synagogue should get resources. And it's very difficult. I'm a big believer in right-sizing. So when a large corporation or small corporation or nonprofit says, we need to lay off people. Why? Clearly, whatever product you are selling, you don't have the right value. People don't want it. So you have too much expense. Here, we have been arguably right-sized, which means thin, because we're an extra expense to most people. A valuable one, but extra. The perception I'm getting a good value for my money, you're fighting with American society. It's too expensive. That's the starting point by most people. Daycare, too expensive. Well, don't you want quality daycare for your child? Yeah, but it's too expensive. It's more than you thought it would be. Does that mean it's too expensive, or does it mean it's the best deal in the world? Right. And, and that's why if you don't have flexibility built into your system, you got some trouble. But that's not the only way it could work. It's the way it worked at the Temple of Aaron. Yeah, I mean, it's such an interesting idea. You know, it's so countercultural, the idea that everyone in theory has access to the same product, right? If we're if synagogue is offering a product, but everyone's going to pay a different amount for it and they're going to do it happily and generously <laughs> if they're paying more and unashamed and unabashedly if they're paying less is so countercultural to like everything in America, right? Like the idea, if I go to uh, Saxon Ford and you and I go at the same time and buy the same car and I found out you paid 5,000 less than I did because you were able to negotiate better, I'm not going to feel good about that, right? I'm not going to go and say, <laughs> I mean, I'm happy to, to contribute to the Saxon uh, income, but I, you know, I'm, I'm not going to feel good about that, right? You want the best deal. You don't want to feel like you're being, you know, you're paying more than the person next to you. So the idea that we can shift that thinking when it comes to synagogue and say, wow, how blessed am I that I'm able to contribute more to this community and to be able to sustain it based on what I'm able to contribute and someone who is able to pay less to say how blessed am I that I'm able to contribute what I'm able to contribute to this community. And together we're all going to, it's almost like saying that the money I have doesn't belong to me, that it belongs to the community. And we're all going to kind of put it into this communal pot and, and put it in together to see what, what we can build and what can come out of it. It's a beautiful idea, but I can't really think of many other places in our, in our society and in our culture where we live that way. So I, I think that it's the fact that, you are as successful as you are in able to in, a, in being able to communicate that to our community and to be able to get people onto that same page of um, of contributing to the community is is truly one it's amazing it's amazing to be able to to cause that shift i mean what what's stronger what is a more strongly held american idea than 
kind of getting the best deal in capitalism. <laughs> like that's like core to who we are as Americans. Um, so the fact that we're able to overcome that and really turn it on its head is it's remarkable. Yeah. I, I mean, I think it, also for me, I think like it's explaining, it's explaining the value. It's, what is the value? I think people are very confused about like what the product of synagogue life is. Right. And like they say, well, I'm not coming to services. Like, okay, my kid already got bar mitzvah, like, or, or whatever, or, you know, I still have a kid. Like, okay. They go to Hebrew school once a week and that's it. Right. I'm not really getting that much. I'm not so re- like, okay, so why should I pay so much money for this? And I, I think people are, are so wrong in that way to say that it's, it's some product you're getting of like over the counter, like you're getting some kind of like a uh, package of something, right? What, what, what Judaism is supposed to do is create a society. A synagogues are supposed to do is create a society or a community of that of people who believe in a certain value system and inculcate themselves by being part of that community with those values to actually live that out, right? To live out their strongest and most held values. Shouldn't that be the thing that we spend the most amount of money on to like live according to our values, right? Like that seems to me like the, the thing that everyone, whatever your values are, you should be willing to spend the most amount of money on. Yet, if you just see it as a commodity, right, then it's like, well, it's not that much. I don't go to, I don't go to services that much, whatever. I think you know. that's why you and I are so resistant to the idea when people ask us, you know, mem- mem- members of Temple of Aaron will ask us like, well, how much does, how much do I pay you for the funeral or for the unveiling or for the, and you and I are so quick to say you're a member of Temple of Aaron. Like you're, you're always welcome to make do- additional donations, but the, you know, there's no, there's no cost to this. And I think part of the reason why is because once you start commodifying each individual product that a synagogue can offer, you're down a losing path, right? Once yeah. you say, well, a funeral costs this and, you know, a bar mitzvah costs this and an unveiling costs this, then you're trying to put a value on each individual product as opposed to inculcating that idea that the value is the community itself. Right. But I will, I will say this. You could also argue that, that we haven't been doing that, like that synagogues haven't been doing that. We have not been creating those societies where people, by just coming and being part of the synagogue and raising your family in the synagogue, that you're, that you're really inculcating and absorbing these positive values of Judaism, right? That's the only argument I might make. Like if the, if the product's not clear enough, then maybe that's the problem. Yeah. yeah the beauty of that statement is Judaism in America used to be exactly what your rabbi partner said. You would get paid to go for a mishaberach. You would get paid for the funeral. You get you get paid for everything because the the synagogue didn't have business principles. And then all of a sudden, as America became a let's say a faster moving society, and synagogues had to adopt more business principles, you had a transformation, a transition to how do we be a community? How do we have this? closeness to God and each other and still satisfy enough business principles to have a building that operates, to have enough staff, to have payment for the people who are dedicated here, who can raise their own families without always their handout. In the old days, clergy was paid next to nothing. Their kids couldn't go to school without asking for help. They couldn't get a house repaired. It was a very different dynamic of what's fair. And American society is very fickle whether it's a commodity, value-added, not value-added, it's very challenging that the business side of a synagogue and the clergy side of the synagogue have to be very intentional with their messages and very consistent. That's why there's a plaque all over the place. We're proud that the people wanted to help us. That's why we recognize volunteers, 
Right. There's plenty of people who don't have significant resources, but have great ideas or they have wonderful time they invest, whether it's the welcome committee, whether it's people in the gift shop, whether it's people helping in the school, a synagogue running on all cylinders needs all of that. And you need a unanimity of, of focus because most people aren't going to pay attention to everything we write or say, but if we're consistently doing it over the law of years and one advantage of, of me working here is you have some continuity, many synagogues who don't have that stability, you make your policies stricter, A or B. Well, okay. That's going to create a little bit additional tension that you don't need. There's enough tension that comes our way in this world today, in our private lives, in our national lives, that if we have good, solid foundational systems with flexibility diplomatically applied, in the long run, we're going to come out much better. And the people have a better appreciation of what the two of you do. And I mean, I think I want to lift up something you said earlier too about empowering people. You use the term that when you when people you want when you want you want people when they walk out of the conversation with you about dues level that they feel empowered. Um, and I think that's so important too. I think sometimes when we say that we have flexibility or you know no one will be turned away for lack of funds or whatever we say, um, that people ha- get the mistaken impression that um, that people that we, that people will, that, that, that we're, that we will give people the option to just kind of pay the lowest amount that they can get away with. Um, which of course people are entitled to do, as you said, we don't ask for their tax records, they'll pay what they want to pay, but we, you know, I, I, we want to empower people to feel like they are contributing to our community. I was so impressed. We went to the day school to, uh, to an open house for incoming prospective parents and the head of school said something that I could see the other kind of administrators and teachers were like, cringing that he said, but I was so happy that he said it. He said, you know, a big question people ask is about day school expenses and we have financial aid and we have, you know, we're happy to to have a financial aid conversation with you, but you should know that day school isn't free, that this is not, this is not something that we can offer for free and that it will be, it will be an expense in your life. And it may be that it's, you know, a trade-off with other things in your life with your, you know, new car, expensive vacations or upgrades in your life. You know, that's a, that's a conversation you have to have with your, you know, with your family and finances. But, but I was so happy that he said that because I think that is also an important part of this conversation of, as we're talking about kind of value added of synagogues and communal life, um, that it's, it's, I, I think part of the problem with our generation with millennials is we were given so much Judaism for free. Like the whole model of Hillel was like free, free Shabbat dinner, free trip birthright, free trips to Israel was sometimes they would even pay you, pay you to study Torah, pay you, right? Like (laughs) there's all of these things, especially in college where you're either paid to be Jewish or you get it for free. And then you go out into the world and you're like, well, yeah, now it seems really expensive if it's not free or I'm not getting paid to do it. Um, And I think that was a really hard lesson that the Jewish community had to learn of when you offer everything for free, um, it does not train people to feel empowered to to be contributors to the community and not just receivers. Yeah. So let me let's dive deeper on that one. Th- this sense of ownership is so important. 
not just at the synagogue, but at a summer camp, any, anything you do in life, a sense of ownership makes all the difference in the world with quality and dedication to pursuing some activity. When Rabbi Rachel talked about her mom being very proud, we're going to pay everything. We're going to find a way to pay tuition. We don't need to ask for help. The number of people who used to do that was much higher. As society's changed, oh, there's a bargain here. I'll take the bargain. Oh, I don't have to pay at all. That's great. I'll, I'll take that. And, and so the institution has missed the opportunity. I don't think they failed. They've missed the opportunity to share the trade-off. If we're going to help you, that means we're not going to be able to help that next person because there's our tuition assistance money or there's our summer camp scholarship. We want to help those who really need it to participate. And getting parents to volunteer and, and do whatever, I remember our older daughter was at school and Chabad would pay her to come to do certain things. And as a college student, she said, oh, I could use the spending money. It had nothing to do with, uh, she was active at Hillel, but if Chabad was going to pay her, I'll take the money. So our job is a persistent explanation when people are ready to hear it and process it and incorporate it. And I think that's one of the reasons people may get tired of all the announcements we make and all the people we thank and the things we announce. But they need it, they want it, they appreciate it, and it adds up. It adds up geometrically, not arithmetically. And too many organizations think, oh, we got a policy. You don't have to be so nice to people. I said, I dis- respectfully disagree. If your way works, I applaud you. <laughs> but in the long run, most, most of us like to be respected and complimented at times. Even the people that are happy to sit in the background, they're still interested in being recognized as, as you do at services every week and calling people's names when you greet them at the door for school. Those things make such a difference. That has been the mood change. Well, I think there's like a very interesting uh, false assumption I think many of us hold. is like if, if, if you really need something or if something really if, – if something's really like important to your life and that you really need it and you value it, you actually sort of expect not to pay for it. It's very strange. It's almost like you should be entitled to it if you really need it. Like we should be entitled to housing. We should be entitled to medical care. Like even though those things are extremely expensive, like like a CAT scan or, or all these these unbelievably expensive uh, machines and the amount of research that has been put in to create them, um, yet somehow because I really need it, therefore I should have it for free. We somehow I think in in our society like paying for a diamond ring makes complete sense because it's, we all know it's a luxury. Right. No one would argue that you should get a diamond ring for free or something like that. And I, I think a lot of that time comes from synagogues. Like it's not just like I need it, but like I'm doing good. I'm doing good. I'm studying Torah. I'm I'm doing acts of loving kindness. I'm joining a synagogue. I'm praying to God. Why should I have to pay for that? Like I, I'm doing such good. What? Like I understand I have to pay for things that I really want or something that I really, you know, a, a new uh, PlayStation 5 or something like that. You know what I mean? Like, but that, why do I? I think that's like a weird assumption that, that we have, you know, part of it's being proud of what you're providing. So the day school, did you say head of school Mm -hmm. saying we have a wonderful institution, but there's a cost to doing business at a high level of quality. And those people that need financial assistance, we're lucky enough to be able to provide it. I think that's a fun, balanced, encouraging comment, right? The discussion about expenses for day school. If you broaden the discussion to public school, private school, it's a private school. Right. There are several people I've talked to over the years who will remain nameless unless they call me later, <laughs> if they listen to this, 
who money's no object. And when it came time to pay tuition at the day school, they started talking about how expensive it was and what's the value. And when they graduated and went on to private school, which is two or three times as much, didn't blink an eye. And at the private school, not only are you paying the tuition of 25, 30 grand a year, uh, they also want additional funds to keep the enrichment of the side activities that, are, that, that make the school what it is. So that's an undervaluing of Jewish private school, not private school, Jewish private school. We've undersold what it is. Beautiful. I love that. Yeah. I, I, we definitely have undersold, I think, our, our, of how valuable what we do and what we give is. It's, it's, I think that's, that's, that, that is like so essential, right? so essential. And a lot of, I think what we do is, is we show people like how valuable what we do is, is, is at Temple of Aaron all the time, um, which, which I really, really appreciate. I, w- I wanted to ask a question also as well, because I think this is also sort of part of a discussion item as well. And I'm not going to go through like all of the lists of Jewish summer camps, because I think we could say sort of a similar thing about, about each of them, of what we've been saying. But one thing I'm like, curious about, and I get this argument a lot. I was talking to um, somebody at a recent occasion I was at, and they were saying they're looking for a Hebrew school for their child and they are keep looking. But every, uh, and I said, why can't you find them? And they were li- lived in a very Jewish area. And they said, well, every synagogue we've approached um, makes us join the synagogue. I don't understand why we can't just pay for Hebrew school, right? We're, we should, we're, we're, we want the service. We're going to pay for the service. Why do I got to pay for all this other stuff? Right? What would you say? What would you say to that person? What would you say to that family? We're not a fee for service organization. They want what they want. They don't care what we need. And our job is to say, we have a synagogue. There's a part of the synagogue that's a school for young kids. We don't have a school and a synagogue. We have a synagogue. Mm. I love that. It's one. It's one. And once you, once you change the discussion about the amount of money, because what they're saying is we, we heard it's going to be really, to use your word, Rabbi, expensive <laughs> well i'm never saying that word again by the way so i have my vocabulary i applaud you for getting rid of that word it's almost a false discussion what do you want for your child where are you going to get it do you not want your child to have other friends and other acquaintances and what are you planning to do with the information that you're what are you, what are you going to school for do you want to be part of a cute it's all the things you talk about right and many institutions there is no extra tuition they've they've rolled it into right we have decided we know many people part of their equation is what's the value. So you do charge tuition. There's no such thing as full tuition here, but you charge tuition because you are getting an extra benefit that's unique to you, but the entire congregation is paying part of it because we value education and we value the building a community. Which again is a commandment in Judaism. Like within the Torah, every Jew is obligated to pay towards the Beit Midrash is, is, is required to pay towards the school and, and towards this upkeep. We're again, we're just doing what Torah requires of us. Um, and I think people, people don't get that a lot about, about the religion. I also want to say like, yeah, you, do you have something to say about this? Yeah. I mean, yeah. I think I also, the other conversation, I have this conversation a lot with our early childhood families. So we run like a once a month baby toddler program. It is very highly subsidized by our community. It's a very low fee quote unquote that we, that we ask, but we do say we, 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 it's a, it's a program for our members. Um, and so we have a lot of people who are not previously affiliated with our synagogue who want to join this program. And what I, the conversation I have with them 
It's also about, to use your word, empowering is empowering them. I say to them, I don't want you to ever feel like, oh, I came into the building and I saw a flyer for something else happening at the synagogue, but I'm not a member. I just come to this class. And so I don't know if this is for me, if I can come to this adult education class or this program, Hanukkah party or this other program you guys are running. I want you to feel every time you walk into our building that you are a full member of our community and you can take advantage of everything that we're offering. Um, And so I kind of also offer it to them that because the financial conversation is flexible because it's we offer this at you know at at a at a cost that fits into your family's life i also offer it as an empowering statement to them becoming a member is actually empowering you to take full advantage of everything that we have happening in our community right but you know i also but i'd also like to distance from that a little bit because i think like that that almost seems like a you belong to a full access membership gym, right? Like I can go to all the classes and I can go to all and no one's gonna ever ask me for anything because it's all included in that that membership package. And I still think then you're kind of making it about the service itself. And the product of Judaism is the person, right? Like it's the person that Judaism and Jewish community is supposed to be creating and fostering, right? And it's not like so the commodity, like what we're what we're really paying for is like to to craft a human being, a mensch like to, to craft somebody who is doing and, and living in the way that God wants to live, right? The, the, the point of the Hebrew school is to create students who, and create human beings who live according to certain values. And, and that's the same point, by the way, of, of the synagogue service. And that's the same point as, as an Israel class, or it's the same point as an adult education session, or it's the same po- point as a challah cooking class, you know, what, 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 whatever I'd have you. And, and I think again, the confusion, I, I, I just don't want people to be confused about you're paying for a certain service or class or spinning like a spinning class or something like that, you know? So, but we live in America. So it's clear decade by decade, we're teaching society. You're buying things, services, and programs. So that's how people are growing up. We have a bigger challenge than we had 40 years ago of getting someone in the door to see the richness and the depth of what's at a synagogue. Right. Because what you're talking about, what you may get, a connection with God, a connection to others, a connection to improving the community, that isn't the way they've been brought up. So you can't get to that conversation if you can't get them in the door. Yeah. And my, my favorite was some of the young, especially the dual career families who have a nice income. I'm not going to say they're rich, have a nice income and I don't care what the number is here for the cost of a program. Oh my God, is that much? And then I know they're going out and they're going to spend three times as much on Saturday night's program, dinner, play, ball game. And it's a sense of entitlement and a lack of full appreciation of what their parents or grandparents received from active synagogue membership. It's not what I get from the synagogue. What am I going to get with the synagogue? Because they're part of adding value. It's not just you two may at times feel, you know, we're, we're just giving, 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 and we're not getting back. Well, that's our collective responsibility. How did we get there? Well, we don't control American society. American society has changed that. Right. And the same thing, lack of loyalty at work, et cetera, et cetera. Faith-based communities are all shrinking, not because they're not as talented, there have more challenges to get the attention of people. And I mean, I think also to your point, there, there is a psychological reality of how people view access 
Um, and so it, the reality is, is that anyone can become a good person through engagement at a synagogue without ever becoming a member, right? We're never going to turn someone away from Shabbat services. We're never going to, people can take any of our classes without being a member. People can you know, we'll read their yard site names if they give them to us. Like, well, you know, people can can get everything for without being a member, but people don't feel like they're entitled to those things, which may be for good reason. Right? Like they're not contributing to the community. They're not they're not part of this community. Right. Um, and so by telling by by encouraging people and kind of forcing people, coercing people in a way to become members of the community, you overcome that psychological barrier so they can get the value of becoming a mensch uh, through their engagement with the community. Beautiful, beautiful. I want to also add one last point that I think I I see in Jews a lot. We don't realize, sometimes we forget we're a minority. I think sometimes we forget we're like a tiny, tiny minority. Like there are so few of us. And I'm not like the best at economics. Like, trust me, you should not go for me for economics lessons. But I know about like, if there are not a lot of us asking for something, then the price is going to tend to be higher, right? The less people who are paying for something into something, the more, the higher it's going to be. Right. And so you get a lot like in that articles that were written, I don't get it. My Catholic school, like to go to Catholic school costs a quarter of what it costs to go to. Are you serious? I mean, one Catholic Catholic church is like the richest organization in the world, but even still, there's so many more Catholics. There's so many more Catholics. There's so many more Muslims. Um, and that's why those things cost cheaper because there's more people paying into a system, right? Like the reason kosher food is, is, is so expensive, if, if everybody was kosher and paying into that, then it would be cheaper. But we're asking for something very specialized. So therefore, it is in general going to be more expensive, I would think, right? That sounds very persuasive. Now, let's add a few more facts. <laughs> Welcome to Ken, everybody. Yeah. If you look at Catholic school costs of education, kindergarten through eighth grade, 25 years ago, almost all the teachers were brothers and sisters, no, no salary. Mm. And all of a sudden Catholic families had been historically larger and you could afford to go because the prices were so small because all your faculty was basically free. Then you started going to the supply of clergy and support staff shrunk and you had to hire lay people to teach and you had to pay them but you weren't paying market rate. But if you were used to paying a modest amount and you're still a modest amount, that person started using your former favorite word. Boy, that's expensive. I remember I went, it was a $800 a year and now it's $2,600 for my kid. Most people would say for a private school, that's not very much. Right. Uh, the fact there's more Catholics. Yeah. There's over a billion Catholics. That isn't why their fixed expenses change in the school. To the credit, they've tried to catch up and increase their compensation to be fair so they can have healthy lives. So have the Jewish institutions. We want quality teachers. Well, that's money. You want to train them. You want to sustain the train. You want to administrate. So all the things of a quality school, you have a higher fixed expense. And there aren't as many Jews. 18 million out of 8 billion people is a pretty small minority. Well, I want to thank you for this discussion. I really want to thank you, Ken, for being here today. I mean, you were, you're amazing. I hope that everyone here sort of learned from your wisdom um, that you've sort of imparted to us in so many ways. We just really appreciate it. I also um, want to say if you are out there, um, whether you are a Temple of Aaron member or not, um, and you're saying, I felt overlooked, I felt that I've 
the shul is too expensive for me or that something is too expensive as part of Jewish life, like, please reach out to us. Um, we are here for you. We, we want to make sure that you can fit into our community. Um, and, and we are, we are, we are flexible, as you said, and, and just please, please come talk to us. I know that's hard. I know it's difficult, but we are here for you and we really truly are flexible and we want to make sure that you get, get those Jewish values and get, get synagogue life and make it, make it affordable for you based on also the conversation we just had. So please, please, please come out for us. Thank you. Thank you for this really um, wonderful discussion. I really, really appreciate it. I know it'll be many more. Uh, please feel free to email us, email me, uh, Rabbi Marcus Rubenstein at templeofaaron.org. If you have questions or comments on this episode, and we can, we can ask them to Ken here, our, our, our guru of, uh, of synagogue finance here, and uh, just really, really appreciate the discussion, everybody. Any closing thoughts? Closing thoughts? Anybody? Do we have time for one more cute story? One more cute story. The Ken cute story, and then we'll end it. Overcoming the resistance about the value of a synagogue, price of a synagogue, et cetera. I can see it in people's eyes. I can hear it on, the, on a phone call. And I said, Let, let's take a different approach. Pretend it's free. I know you can budget free. Pretend you're a member. We'll sign you up. Come in for three months, six months, nine months. And then let's talk about a dues amount that fits in your family budget. Because if it doesn't fit in your budget, you're going to come up with words like it's too, the E word, it's too <laughs> expensive. I said, you see if there's value. See if you have any connection to people, connection to God, any spirituality. What are you looking for? See if you find it here. And only then let's talk about, is there something you can do to support our community financially? Right. The joy in the person's face that we're not telling them what to do. Mm. We're giving it an opportunity to work with us. I said, we have real expenses and we need your support, but now is not the right time. You have whatever history you have is precluding you, preventing you from going into this in a happy way. We don't want that. And uh, we've had several people this last year who once I started from zero, you would think I was giving them a path of life, which wasn't true, but it, it, it knocked away some of the barriers they had. And I was very proud to do that because uh, several of those people have fit in here so well, you may be able to guess some of these folks. The money's not the issue. It's valuing the person that they had not experienced before. That's, uh, that's so, and I think that's, I mean, I think it's completely unique. I've never experienced that at a synagogue where you've taught us. It's so much on, there's so much importance, I think, to, to especially to, to lay leaders of like bringing in new members and, you know, and, and then, and then to say, and that you've taught us that don't, don't, don't try to push people to be members, you know, push people to push people to, you know, come experience synagogue. And then if they like it and they appreciate it and they keep coming and then say, okay, you really want to commit to be a member. You really like this product. I, I just, I found that to be extremely admirable and I've used it myself. And I just think it's almost every single time they've come back and said, I want to be a member. And I just really appreciate that. Thank you very much, everybody. This has been, again, a wonderful discussion. I want to thank our wonderful producer, Jesse Ulrich, who is always incredible in editing our, our work together. And for Rant 9 Productions, of course, Colleen Deeker and Jeffrey Baldinger for their wonderful theme song for our podcast. Please remember to review, comment, subscribe. Uh, tell a friend about our podcast. Hey, even the Star Tribune likes us to see him. So tell, tell somebody. It's really been wonderful to connect in this way. And of course, always feel free to contact us. We really um, want this to be a two-way discussion. So thank you. Bye-bye now. Oh, oh, come celebrate the words of Torah with 
Kissing Bay. 